Good morning, Venice Church. How are we doing? Oh, come on. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all doing all right? Man, it is so good to see you. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Joshua. I'm a pastor over at the Harker Heights location. And so I get to be with the one and only Belton location today. And so super excited uh, to be here and continue through this series where we've been talking about this is just the introduction to spiritual warfare. We've been talking about what are the tools that God has given us to fight this battle. And so uh, if you're new here to Vintage, don't forget uh, to stop by the guest suite before you leave uh, today. Uh, You're also more than welcome to pull out your phone if you'd like and download our app. Uh, That way you can take some notes, you can meditate and look on them throughout the week. You can also catch up on any messages you might have missed. Um, But I do think it's, it's really timely that we talk about spiritual warfare, especially when you just look around at the world today. And and it's impossible to look around at the world today and not see the darkness. The the fact that the enemy has taken ground in our schools, right? In our politics, right? In, In some of our churches, even. The enemy has taken ground, and so really we're called to fight. And I think over years and and decades, the enemy has convinced the population that God is the problem the whole time, and removed God from the equation, removed his word, and removed his truth. Well, guess what? If you do that, society does not progress, it regresses. And what we're going to try to do today What we've been doing through this series is returning back to the word and saying, okay, God, there's a problem in our in our world today. There's a spiritual war being waged. What are we to do about it? How can we be ready? And that brings us to our big idea, which is this. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God's given us to overcome the enemy. Which begs the question, what are those tools? Well, we've talked about that. Week one, we kind of talked about the fact that this war is not against flesh and blood, right? This war is not like Lord of the Rings, where, where you've got the elves and the orcs against each other, right? No, there's a, there's a deeper war being waged. Uh, strongholds, principalities, demons, spirits. We've also talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the fact that to, to have peace in our life, we have to be willing to make peace with other people. And then today we're going to be talking about this fourth piece of armor, and this is the shield of faith. Okay, are you ready? Ephesians chapter 6, go ahead and take a look. It says, Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Before we continue, let's go ahead and bow our heads. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we love your word. We value your word. And God, today we just want to learn more about who you are. We want to learn more about who we are. And we want to know how you've built us and how you're building us to fight this battle. God, we just ask that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. That when we hear about this armor, Lord, that we would be strapped and ready to go back into the harvest field, back into the marketplace, back into our work environment, Lord. I just pray this morning that you would speak to your people, that it's not about what I say, but about what you have to say through your word. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, 
Amen. So today we're looking, about, uh, looking at this shield. And something you'll notice that Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 6, 14 through 16, he's outlining these past few pieces of armor that we've looked at. And you'll notice that he says, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. You've got to actually pick it up. I think about, it's hard for me to not think about, I'm a super big comic book fan, super big Marvel fan, and what's the biggest superhero that carries around a shield? Captain. Captain America, thank you. Captain America, right? And he's walking around, just imagine if he's walking into battle, right? Uh, guns ablazing, uh, people flying around and swinging and doing stuff, and Captain America just walks into the battle with his shield like this, just, you know, hoping that maybe they'll hit him right here, don't go for the head, right? No, Captain America picks up that shield and he's ready to go. And I think part of what Paul could be alluding to here is this. So often we don't take up our faith, we let it dangle. I'm going to pressure and and encourage you today, is your faith ready to go? Is your faith ready to be shared? We're going to talk about how to get it ready to be shared, but that's our heart today, is that the shield is different. It's it's not just something that we put on, but it's something that we've got to take up. And notice he also says, in every situation, not just Sunday morning from 11 to 12, not just Sunday morning from 9 to 10.30. No, in every situation, we want to be taking a step of faith closer to him, just like a Roman soldier wouldn't go into any uh, situation without his shield. Faith is something that you simply are not going to leave home without. And here's some characteristics of the Roman shield, which is so interesting, because when we look at Paul, we have to acknowledge that he's he's putting each of these attributes of our of our of our faith, of our walk with Christ, and what we've got to do. He's associating these with armor. And there's some intricacies here in each of these pieces that if we miss it, we're actually missing part of I think what Paul's really illustrating to us. Let's look at that. So first of all, we have to understand that this Roman shield was an impressive line of defense and it was three and a half feet tall. And about three feet wide, okay? So there was a a great deal of protection from picking up and having this shield ready to go. It had a slight curve. And so this shield was actually, it was curved in the front, but it was rectangularly shaped, okay? This is not like the medieval uh, age idea of what we think of when we think of a shield. It also wasn't red, white, and blue with a star in the middle, okay? This is a little bit different. Uh, There was something called uh, the boss. This was a metal bulb that was on the front of the shield. What happened what happens is uh, if, if they were in a, uh, a fight and there were arrows being shot, if they could line up that bulb properly against the arrow, it would deflect and shoot the other direction. Okay, So that was a really important piece of the, uh, the shield. And then lastly, it was made of six layers of leather for strength. Okay, this is like ahead of the curb technologically when it came to warfare during this time period. Th- this way of creating the shield was relatively new, and they used that to their advantage. And the strength of that shield was not just in the fact that it was brute and heavy, but the fact that it was layered and there was depth to it. And, and arrows were a huge threat, like I said, and so it was the only line of defense against arrows. And, and the, the Romans actually had a strategy called the tortoise shell, 
okay? And, and this is really where the shield became most effective when you were able to join it with other shields. And this tortoise shell maneuver would happen where you would have an army of Romans and the front line would hold their shield like this, okay? Blocking the front. Then everyone behind would all hold, the, hold their shields up. So as they're advancing into the battleground, okay, all you see is basically one giant tortoise, <laughs> one giant shield coming at you. You can't shoot them down. You can't move them. They're coming at you. And I think this really uh, says something about faith, which is that it's twofold when you compare it to the shield, which is that every Christian has their own faith. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're borrowing faith from a family member. Maybe you're borrowing faith from a pastor. Maybe you're borrowing faith from a previous experience. I'm here to tell you today that your faith is your own. You've got your own shield to take up, but it doesn't stop there, which is that your faith actually can become stronger when it's combined with others. It's interpersonal. That, that's the purpose of the church. When you have others around you with the same faith, you can lock shields together and take more ground. Does that make sense? And that's why I'm excited to, to talk about our, our members' dessert that's happening tonight. This is really connected because here's the truth. is that we're, We as a church family, we're taking ground here in Central Texas. What used to be the enemies is actually the Lord's. And, and every single week we get this opportunity to serve people. And tonight at our members' dessert, we're talking about what the future looks like. We're celebrating uh, where God has taken us, the impact we've been able to have. Do we have a slide for the, the members' dessert? Uh, and if you haven't uh, signed up or registered yet, uh, you can. Uh, you can scan that QR code right there. Um, if you don't register, that just means that I get to eat your dessert. So you don't have to. I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I like gelato. Um, but I'm super excited for that tonight because really it shows that we can do more together than if we're lone wolves operating on our own. And the truth is you can't read the Bible long before you see uh, people having to take a step of faith closer to God, right? Uh, most of us start a one-year Bible plan and we only get a few chapters in or a couple books in. So I'm going to start with, with Noah, okay? Noah, um, Noah's ark, he had to take a step trusting that God was going to deliver his family through his obedience to build the ark, right? You've got Abraham, who was on his road to destiny, even after it looked as though he would never have a son, had to remain faithful. Why? Because God was faithful. And it's faith that kept Joseph pure and righteous and ready. It, it was faith that allowed Joseph to look back on the vision that God gave him and keep, him, keep his eyes forward on the future. That's faith. That's faith. And we're going to talk about the fundamentals of this word. And here's the first one. Faith is believing. Faith is believing. You can write that down if you're taking notes today. Uh, faith uh, is the common denominator of all mankind. I truly believe that. Everyone makes a faith based decision. Everyone does. And that's really natural faith. Uh, everybody took a step of natural faith uh, when you sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Did you need proof? Did you ask somebody else to sit in it before you sat in it? That'd be kind of weird, right? 
No, you, you've sat in it probably a few weeks in a row. You know, you've seen the evidence, you've, you've observed over time that it's likely that this chair is going to hold you. Do you know with 100% certainty? Maybe not. But you're making a judgment based on the evidence, based on the information. And John chapter 4 verse 24 says this, that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And and here's why that matters, because this is a concept of faith that was very, it it was a challenge for the disciples. When you look into their story, and it really stinks that this guy has such a bad rap nowadays, uh, but Doubting Thomas, right? Have you heard of Doubting Thomas? John chapter 20, uh, Jesus resurrects from the grave. He's out. And he shows up to meet with the disciples, and I don't know where Thomas was. I don't know if he was like out grabbing a bite. I don't know if he was like in the, in the bathroom. I don't know where Thomas was. He wasn't there. So he gets back, and they start telling him Jesus was here, right? right? They were mourning. They were in disillusionment at, as to why the Messiah was dead. And then he shows up, and then Thomas comes, and he's like, what do you mean? You probably saw a ghost. You probably saw a ghost. But then when we read John chapter 20, here's what happened. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was, this time, Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, calls him out, put your finger here and look at my nail-scarred hands, right? Reach your hand and put it to my side, where the spear was placed into him at the cross, Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Thomas is one of the disciples that still struggled with walking and living in faith. And man, I I would have loved to have been in the room and gotten to actually touch Christ's nail-scarred hands to see what they had done and the fact that he was risen again in the flesh. And that would be natural faith, right? I'm basing it based on the evidence and the proof that he's standing here right in front of me. But Jesus says that there's a different kind of faith that's actually even greater than that, which is the faith that comes without yet seeing, without yet knowing. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Did you know that before time, before energy, before space, before matter, something, i.e. God, existed? That thing was spiritual. He has existed eternally without cause. And that is why we see that we have to focus on this spiritual aspect of who God is. And here's number two, faith pleases God. That type of faith is pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Now without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Think about this. If God was provable, there wouldn't be a need to trust him. Right? If you could prove it with 100% certainty, then there would be no aspect of faith needed. Right. Faith is simple. Faith is believing. Here's number three. Faith is tangible. Write that one down. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten this idea that faith is, is a blind uh, leap. God's just kind of asking us to like, you know, just do this and see where we go. Almost off the stage, right? But that's not accurate. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since what? The creation of the world. From the get-go, from the beginning, being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. What is this saying? It's saying that there's a relationship between reason and faith, or, or logic and faith, right? We don't want to do one or the other. We want to marry these two together. And here's a line that I think is really going to help. If you're taking notes, write this down. Reason keeps faith grounded, Okay? God's not asking us to follow him blindly and just see what happens, right? There's a reason that we do this. Reason keeps faith grounded. But here's the other side. Faith keeps reason humble. If we could figure out God, well, we can't. There's a reason that he's God and we're not. It comes with the attitude of humility. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 says this. When you pray... Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And what does this passage really say? This is really talking about not putting your faith in just your prayer. Right? So many of us have prayed before and really prayed for something and not seen it happen. And we believe the lie that because this thing didn't happen, it means that I don't have enough faith. Or because I haven't like, seen this stronghold broken yet, that I just don't have enough faith. I'm not good enough. And I just want to say no to that, and I want to cancel that lie today. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Jesus replied to them in Mark chapter 11. He says, have faith in God. Not your prayer, not your works. Have faith in God. His grace. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Here's number four. Faith is built. Faith is built over time. Seven layers of the shield, right? There's a certain depth and thickness there. And really, there's two kinds of faith that we see talked about in scripture. And no, I'm not talking about natural faith and biblical faith. This is just where we see faith mentioned in scripture. There's two types. And the first is saving faith. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. That's really, really important. We have to remember that it's not our works that grant us salvation, not our works that give us eternal life, but trust in him, accepting his grace that he's gifted us. It's when we give our heart to Jesus, when we acknowledge that he's the son of God that rose from the grave, we're saved through that faith and by grace alone. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says it again, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So we uh, have faith in a Savior, that's saving faith, but then we've got overcoming faith. 
And, each, and this stacks. This stacks on top of each other. We learn and we develop an overcoming type of faith. As it's grounded in Christ, we can overcome because Jesus did. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous because I've overcome the world. Paul admonishes us in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that verse. We just sang a song last week at our, at our other location, and the bridge goes, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Some of us are just okay with things being bad the way they are. But maybe we need to remember that the Lord is a redeemer. He makes good from the bad. And Paul's uh, instructing Christians to not let evil conquer them, right? Jesus had to overcome uh, the world, and he has overcome the world. But I think the reason Paul is, is highlighting this for us is that we can be conquered if we're not careful. We can be conquered by evil. We got to be ready for the fight. How do we overcome evil? First John chapter 5, verse 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Amen? How many of you want to conquer? Okay, just making sure. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. If we look at this verse backwards, here's what we read. It's your faith that gives you the victory to overcome the world. Faith. Uh, a good example is like a title deed uh, house situation, right? I could buy a house in another state that I've never seen before with my own two eyes, Right? I can, I can buy it. It's mine. Like I, I have, my name is on it. And, and faith is a lot like holding that title and uh, the, the title to all that God has given us before it manifests. We know what's coming. Why? Because we know that God is faithful. But have we seen it yet? No. But faith fills in the gap. Sometimes we think that we don't have faith because things don't happen the way that we think that they should, right? But again, I don't know where this idea comes from. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose, with a capital, all caps, his purpose, not mine. We have to trade out our plan for his purpose. We have to trade out our worries, our anxieties for his wisdom. We have to be willing to humble ourselves before the living God and make that change. That is the faith that's built over time, over experiences. And guess what? A relationship that isn't tested can't be trusted. There's going to be times where you walk through discourse with somebody. We talked about that last week a lot, so I'm not going to drill this in. But that is a time where faith is tested. Faith is tested, and it becomes stronger. Here's number five. Faith is heard. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So we hear the gospel. It goes into our ear, but you have to actually receive it by faith in order for it to drop into your heart. Uh, it's easy to come in and, and hear the word and, and not let it drop into our heart and really change us from the inside out, right? We, we just want to change everything in life. Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm not going to. And maybe those things are great. But if it doesn't actually transform who we are on the inside and we're not actually born again, there will not be the same fruit. 
We've been talking about this in our church leadership college, which is that Jesus really challenged the Pharisees to quit being so concerned with the hands and go back to the heart of God and allow the heart of God to change your heart into one of wholehearted devotion to him. And faith comes from hearing, right? Here's what Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Testimony. For they did not, uh, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. This is ultimate faith. When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody? That's what I want to know. When was the last time you heard somebody else's testimony and just asked, hey, how did God bring you to this church? How did he bring you to this place of where you're at right now? I'd love to know the story. Uh, it's, it's a long story. Well, I got time. Be that person. A testimony builds faith like nothing else. I've gotten to hear so many testimonies from people over the last few weeks of how God has really brought them out of their, their darkest moments, out of significant pain into now stepping into their purpose, stepping into their calling, living a life of faith, following God. And when you trust Jesus like this, you know you've truly received the faith. That's number six. Faith is received. Again, this is faith that's dropped into your heart. We all know those people that have a lot of knowledge but are mean. <laughs> they pick up the Bible and like, bah, 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 you know. Bible thumpers, but, you know, visual. We all know those people, right? They, they love to tell you how to live, but they refuse to acknowledge the fact that they need to get the word in their heart, right? And this, again, is the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus spoke to the most and had the harshest words for. Imagine the Son of God saying this to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Whoa, Jesus. Watch the language, man little strong. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's tough. And I know we look at these Pharisees like, man, they're so, they're so silly. Why did they? They should have understood, right? But how many times have we been the Pharisee. How many times have we been so concerned with the law, doing everything correctly, the works of it, and forgotten the heart of God in the process? It breaks his heart. God does something on the inside, and then it works its way to the outside. That's how faith operates. Changes you from the inside out. And how does that happen? How does faith, how does the gospel actually change your heart on the inside? It takes a posture of humility. Everybody hold your hands like this for a moment. This is the posture of receiving a gift. If I had a flat screen TV, I could drop it in your hands right now, right? That's how you receive a gift. And this has to be our posture of humility. We have, there's a song that we sing, and guys, I'm a worship leader, I'm sorry. These songs are like cataloged in my brain, these lyrics. But we sing a song called Gratitude, right? I throw up my hands, I praise you again. I've got nothing else fit for a king. All I could do is be here to receive. That's the posture of a humble person. Why is humility important? James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
I want to be humble before God, recognizing that I can't do it on my own. Here's number seven. Faith is multiplied. This is so cool. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. There's a multiplying effect when you're connected to God's people, the local church. Think back to the tortoise shell. When your faith alone is brought together and you're now surrounded by people who think like you, have, value things like you, have the same faith like you, you're going to be stronger. Why is it that we surround ourselves with people who don't share the same faith, don't share the same values, aren't fighting the same battle? You know, uh, the New Testament gives us a word called the apostate. I know that's kind of a scary word. Oh, it's about to get bad. Okay. Apostate's real simple. It's someone who has trained with an army, is engaging a battle, and splits off from the army, joins the opposing army, and now attacks the army it came from. That's an apostate. And why is that definition so important? Because we have to understand that faith does not separate us from the group. Faith should not separate us from the flock. We're part of God's family. And what happens is when our faith comes together, when we're in a church family, when we're surrounded by community that is there for us, to love us, to pray for us, faith is multiplied. More ground can be taken for God. Here's the principle. We talk about it a lot. Your faith is personal, but it isn't private. Faith is something that you should have. Not borrow from somebody else. It's your own. But don't keep it to yourself. I, I heard an argument from an atheist one time. Um, man, and I cannot remember his name at the moment. It was through some video. But the, the, what he said was, how much do you have to hate someone for you to know the truth about life or death, eternity, about a loving God, and not tell every person that you know? How much do you have to hate someone to keep that goodness from them, to keep that truth from them? And I just think that's so important empowering because we really got to think this cannot just be something that we keep behind closed doors. You can see the shield clearly from a, from a while away. That's how our faith should be, not something that we leave at home. We've got to take up our shield because a shield protects and deflects the enemy. Here's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's bow our heads for a moment. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you haven't uh, hung us up to dry, but that you've given us the tools that we need to overcome the enemy. God, we know that there's a battle being waged against us, those who follow you. And God, we just acknowledge the fact that you are higher you are stronger. You are more mighty, God, than any power, any principality, God, that could try to take ground. God, we humble ourselves before you today, and we recognize who you are. 
Maybe you're here today, this morning, and uh, we're, we're talking about Scripture, we're talking about the Word, we're talking about the Bible, and you're like, man, I've heard this a thousand times, but you know what? I don't know if I've really followed it. I don't know if I've really like taken the step to say, you know what? This needs to drop into my heart, and I truly need to repent. I've sinned against God. I've made mistakes, and I knew it when I did it. But today, I'm going to make a different decision. Maybe you're here today, and you're part of a different group. And this whole thing of Christianity and following Jesus Christ and believing that he's the son of God and rose from the grave, maybe this is an entirely new thing. Well, let's talk about the gospel for a moment. You know, the, the, the bad news is this. We're all broken. We're all sinful. The ground before the cross is level ground. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've broken his commands and we've broken his heart. But it doesn't stop there with the bad news. There's good news too, which is that God sent his son, his only son, the one he loved, which harkens back from the Old Testament. The only son, the only one who could die in our place, one who lived a sinless and a perfect life. He got up on that cross and he paid the price. He paid off your debt from your sin. Paid off my debt from my sin. And three days later, when he got out of the grave, it wasn't just a miracle that happened, but it showed that he's stronger than even death. It showed that he can conquer sin, that he could conquer the grave. Maybe you're here today, and you're still holding on to that pain of the cross, not recognizing that three days later, he, he conquered it for you still carrying around the heavy baggage and the heavy luggage of a sinful past. You can be free from that today. Jesus is accessible 100% of the time. You have access to that today. So if, if you're in that position today and you say, you know what, I want to repent. I want to turn 180 degrees. I want to turn from my way and I want to go his way. I'm going to leave here with the resource that's going to help me. I'm going I'm to pursue him with everything I got because I'm nothing without him. If you want to make that decision today, on the count of three, just raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Anybody here today? Yep, I see you in the back. Yep. Anybody say, I want to choose a different way. Yes, sir, I see you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Church family, let's pray all together. Um, again, because there's strength in numbers. When faith comes together, all of us with something in common. Let's pray this together. Lord, I need you. Come on, I need you. I've sinned against you. I've chosen my way. But today, I choose your way. I believe you died. I believe you came. I believe you rose from the grave. Help me to follow you better. Lead me. Guide my steps. Show me what's next. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, let's put our hands together for those that made their decision today. It's so good.